At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. podcast the podcast for cryptids and their keepers that's us and if you're listening it's you too i'm alex flanagan and i'm addison peacock and that was your most egregious one yet yeah and also i played myself because i could not stop laughing through the beginning either you cut me off in the middle of a word that i will surely not be able to edit out (laughs) no definitely not um i mean did you want to take another stab at it no you know what let's roll with it it the way it is um yeah i apologize i'm like a little off the wall today i actually was just (laughs) telling addison before we came in that i am actually extremely episode one Jake Peralta this morning on account of when I rolled up to work today, I was uh, about 10 minutes late because at the point in which I realized I was going to be about five minutes late, I stopped and got a coffee and donuts. So then I got to work and I was opening and I got to work 10 minutes late with a coffee in one hand and a bag of donuts in the other to find the poor delivery man who I had left for 10 minutes in the rain while I got coffee and donuts and then just casually had to be like, hey, and open the door for him. Did you give him a donut? No. Those were mine. I paid for them. I understand. I... To be fair, in like true uh, true Cryptic Keeper team fashion, I was mirroring some episode one Charles Boyle today because then we got to my house and I was showing you um, my new coffee mug. I used to have this mug that was and I ha- I used to have this mug that is like a compilation of Edgar Allan Poe iconic quotes and just varying cool little fonts all over it because I love Edgar Allan Poe. Grew up reading a lot of his stories, grew up having them read to me by my very strange macabre mother who I love very much. Uh, and I broke it a couple of years ago and it broke and it broke my heart. And so I, found- I broke it and it broke. Me. Yeah, and so I found a replacement for it last week, and so I was having my first cup of coffee in my replacement mug, and I was holding it up to my face to show Alex how happy I was to have my replacement <laughs> mug, and I just spilled coffee all over my shirt and pants. And in and the counter. tiniest voice, she just said, "Oh no!" <laughs> she literally was like holding her coffee mug up to her face, went mm, and then like tipped it slightly, and then as coffee, sp- like s- presumably scalding coffee, yes. spilled over her hand and onto her pants, just went, "Oh no!" <laughs> and so that's uh, where we're coming from today. But that's the energy we're bringing into the yeah, studio that's, space. that's the duality for you this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird. It's wild. It's coming at you hot and fresh and wacky. So let's just slip right in there. What some you... cryptid buddy cops. Yeah, what oh. do you got for us? Okay, so I know last week we covered somebody pretty famous. We did. We did. We covered somebody pretty famous. We talked about her as an icon of stage and screen. Yes, near and dear to my heart. Near and dear to all of our hearts. The one truly. the only. Hashtag free Broxy. Of course. Perfect. And so I thought maybe perhaps I would bring my own uh, very famous uh, creature today. <gasps> and somebody so famous. In fact, I really don't think a career move gets any bigger than collaborating with Pixar. Oh, and this particular cryptid was featured in a Pixar short several years ago called Bounden. <gasps> so this week, ah! I would like to talk to you all about the jackalope. Thank God. Um, how much would you like to know about Bounden? Because here's a fun fact for you. When I was in like middle school up through high school, uh-huh. I thought that like my dream job in this entire world was to work for Pixar. And I don't know why, but that was like a thing. Mm-hmm. And I had like an encyclopedic 
knowledge of Pixar. Like okay. I could at the time, and I've, I've fallen off a bit in recent years, but I could at the time tell you like the director, producer, like main cast members, like composer for like any given Pixar film and like all of the minutiae. I had like the DVD collection of like all of the shorts. So Bounden is great. Um, yeah, it's a short about the Jackalope who is voiced by Bud Lucky, who was originally going to be the voice of Woody in the first Toy Story before they recast it as Tom Hanks. But Bud Lucky was also an animator at Pixar and he's the guy that voices um, the like special government agent in The Incredibles, Rick Dicker. Oh, cool. He passed away, like, um, I think shortly after The Incredibles. But he was, like, a big guy at Pixar for years. And he just has, like, this folksy, like, homey voice. And so, so when nice. they did, yeah, and so when they did Bounden, they were like, oh, well, you just do this. So he's, like, the narrator in the Jackalope, and it's great. It's really sweet. It's uh, one of my favorite Pixar shorts, actually. I have not seen the new Pixar short. I have not seen Bao yet. I think that's probably going to end up being one of my mm-hmm. favorites. But... I think that one and then the one with the guys playing chess in the park are two of my favorites. Yeah, um, Gary's Game. That one's really good, too. Yeah. I don't know the names of it. I, yeah, well. <laughs> you're proving, yeah, you're proving it. You're proving your strikes. For several years um, in, like, high school, nobody would play Disney Scene It with me. Aww. I had, like, a group of friends who were, like, really into Disney Scene It, and, like, they knew the, like, early Disney movies better than I did, but every time I got to, like, a Pixar category, I was just like, sorry, here, here it is. They'd be like, who was the composer for the, you know, whatever? And I would be like, oh, it's this guy. And they're like, we are not playing Disney scene with you anymore ever again. And it's no fun. You can quote this entire movie verbatim. And I was like, I, I have a problem, but it's my problem and not yours. So leave me alone. <laughs> oh, no. Um, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Well, it's cool. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I didn't know. I didn't mean to bring up some bad memories. It wasn't. No, it's really not. Uh, very fond memories of all of those movies that I was not affiliated with. So, you know, I understand. I loved your work on Toy Story, Alex. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, not to get, like, dark, but I do understand that working at Pixar has been a historically not great time for a lot of other people. So yeah. I don't want to, like... I don't want to bring this into a weird space where I'm like, oh, my God, I love Pixar. And, like, it was my dream to work for Pixar because I understand that might bring some weird energy for some people who actually, like, have been in that industry or that place. Like, I understand there's been a lot of very ungreat stuff that has gone down there. Yeah. And um, absolutely, I am on the side of those people. And of not course, the, yeah. Not the company that has allowed this to continue. Oh, definitely. Um, I feel like this is weird. I feel like everybody knew a person who wanted to work for Pixar, though, when they were younger. The same way I think every um, mm-hmm. class of kids now knows somebody who probably more than one somebody who wants to be a YouTube star. Oh, yeah. Fair. Like, my dad was saying how he thinks that, like, the people who used to, like, when he was a kid, like, dream about being in, like, the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Like, it's the same oh. thing. The people who are like, I'm going to be a professional athlete. And the teachers have to be like, well, maybe. But the odds aren't, like, super great. And it's that right. way now with, like, I'm going to be the next Jake Paul and everyone has to be like one not a good aspiration do not please and two one was too many yeah there's already two whole Paul brothers that's yeah entirely, entirely too, many. too many Pauls I don't anyway we're not here to talk about that so I want to talk about the jackalope I want yeah, to talk, talk about, about the a boy that I love very much so if um you don't know what the jackalope if you don't know what the jackalope is for one reason or another the jackalope is one of my favorite kind of very Americana-based uh, cryptids. Oh, yeah. It's folksy as heck. Now, the thing about the jackalope, and I will talk about this in a minute, is I kind of assumed going into reading about it that similarly to other things we covered, it was just this very American phenomenon. I was actually, the specifically the jackalope, yes, but I was kind of wrong. So if you don't know what the jackalope is, it's a portmanteau of jackrabbit and antelope, and it is a hare, because jackrabbits are actually hares. They're not rabbits, um, with antlers. It's the very self-explanatory name. They're supposed to be these kind of, they're like a fearsome critter type creature, like super folksy. They are these horned rabbits with these antlers, and they uh, 
that's pretty much the whole extent of them. They're supposed to be, like, aggressive when cornered. You can supposedly milk them. Oh, okay. Whoa. Um, all right. I was going to stop you for something else, and, like, I there was not a good moment for that to happen, so I thought I would keep waiting, and then you said that, and now there's never going to be a good moment again in my life as long as I live. Um, oh, no. For anything. <laughs> you can milk them. I'll talk about but it. specifically, uh-huh. um, I was going to ask you, because something that I'm realizing, um, specifically in our last few episodes as time goes on, is that I know more about cryptids than I do about apparently just regular human animals mm-hmm. or just regular animal animals. Humans are animals, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what is the difference between a rabbit and a hare? Because I thought that was more of just, like, a regional thing or, like, a... Let me pull it up. There is there is a difference. One I mean, second. like, I knew there was a, a difference, I guess. I just never took the time to figure out, like, what it was. And I think this is specifically because in all of the old, like, Chuck Jones Looney Tunes cartoons, there are, like, a lot of puns about Bugs Bunny that use hair. And so I was just like, those are interchangeable. And I think I never bothered to uninternalize that. Mm-hmm. They're in the same genus. They are in the okay. Lepus genus. Yeah. So they're in the same family as um, rabbits. I don't know exactly. <laughs> the jackrabbits are hairs rather than rabbits. I've tried to figure out the exact difference, and I don't actually – I think it's mainly a size difference from what I can gather. Oh, here we go. Sorry. National Geographic, what's the difference between rabbits and hares? Um, hares are less social than rabbits. They mm-hmm. have more skittish behavior. They look similar, so many cop to the conclusion they're the same animal. Um, uh, hares and rabbits are in the same are in the same genus. They're different species, like sheep and goats are different species. Right. Um, ha- oh, there it is. I knew they were bigger. Okay. It is of largely a size difference. Hares are bigger and they have longer ears. Um, okay. Rabbits are smaller. Um, and hares' pregnancies last longer. They last 42 days, their gestation period, as opposed to rabbits, which are 30 to 31 days. Um, okay. So just to clear another thing up before I make a fool of myself on air again. Bunny is not like a different thing, right? Bunny is a name Bunny for a rabbit. Bunny is just it's like what a, you call a rabbit. It's, okay. it's like calling, I believe, someone's probably going to write in and tell me if I'm wrong. I, I, From what I understand, a rabbit being a bunny is the same as calling a cat like a kitty. Okay. And very different from calling a horse a pony. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because cool. they are different. They're apparently different. I understand. Hares are, um, hares burrow. I believe, mm-hmm. and rabbits do not. Um, there's other kind of behavioral differences. Yes. Hares live, no, sorry, hares live above ground. Right. Rabbits burrow. Because Watership Down is about rabbits. Yes, and they burrow. And they burrow. Yes. There's, it's a whole thing. So hares are different. So hares are above ground. They're larger, longer ears, um, and that is the difference. People equate them as animals. They are different, just like sheeps and goats are different. And there we go. <laughs> Okay, cool. But um, um, so let's never talk about that other thing you said again before I interrupted you. <laughs> so you can milk jackalopes. <laughs> However, trying to milk a jackalope is very dangerous, so don't do it. Oh, it's dangerous. Because they'll get aggressive and they'll scare oh. you with their little horns. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second. But what I wanted to talk about first is the appearance of like horned rabbits or hares. I'm going to just so that nobody writes into me to yell at me about this. For the purposes of this show, I am going to occasionally say like rabbits and hares interchangeably when I might mean one or the other because some of these are creatures that are purely theoretical or like not confirmed to exist. So we don't actually know if a jackalope is a rabbit or a hare. It's just people, it's it's called that because of jackrabbits, which are hares, but we don't really know. So I'm going to use rabbit a lot this episode when I might mean hare because we don't know for sure if what at any point you feel are. compelled to tell us the difference between a rabbit and a hare, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to go to Google, and I want you to look up images of bilbies because they are buck wild. 
I might regret asking this, but what's a bilby? Oh! Um, you go ahead and like talk about what you're talking about. I'll talk okay. about bilby for you. So what we'll I wanted bilbies. to talk about is the fact that the jackalope is not even close to the first or only example of a sort of rabbit slash hare with horns or antlers in existing in the cultural consciousness. There are versions of it from throughout Europe as well as in America. The American version is essentially the jackalope, but there are sort of variations on this theme all throughout. And there are two uh, cryptids wiki pages that are linked to the jackalope page that sort of talk about this. And I'm going to probably pronounce both of these somewhat wrong because I am uh, bad at that. But there are two sort of kind of strange, strange rabbits that are sort of either horned or similar in that they are are rabbit features mixed with another feature that does not make sense. That is not like natural to rabbits. So they are first rabbit of all, chimeras. <laughs> you say that as a joke, but you're not wrong. Um, so first of all is the skvader, which is a Swedish fictional creature, which uh, supposedly fictional, I should say. It is um, hair in structure, but then it also has wings. Nice. Yeah, it's a flying. It's a flying bunny. Oh, I love it. Flying bunny. Um, it's the name for it is derived from a word for like quacking or chirping, and then something to do with a wood grouse. What? Yeah, it's. Don't worry about it. But it uh, do that, they quack? Um, maybe. It they quack. Probably. Or chirp. Probably. I love them. The squatter. So supposedly quack. that originates from a tale, um, a hunting story told by a man named Hakan Dalmark during a dinner at a restaurant in the beginning uh, in Sundsvall at the beginning of the 20th century. He claimed in 1874 he had shot an animal like this during a hunt north of Sundsvall. On his birthday in 1907, his housekeeper presented him with a painting of the animal made by her nephew shortly before his death in 1912. The painting was donated to a local museum. And then this taxidermist, uh, Rudolf Gronberg, was asked to reconstruct the animal. So in 1918, Gronberg made the squatter, and it's an exhibition at the museum. Uh, the museum, oh boy, a lo- the local museum. You want to try to say that? Mm. In Ornskolsvisk? Yeah, in Ornskolsvisk. Yeah, that one. But anyway, that taxidermy, that taxidermist recreation has been on display since then. So if you are in that area and you want to go see it, you can go see the squatter. So that's just a little bit on that. And then the other thing I found, and this is a close, way closer in description to the jackalope, uh, is the Vulpertinger. Mm-hmm. It is a creature that inhabits mm-hmm. the forests of Bavaria and Germany. And oh, nice. Like Black Forest or? Yes. Okay. Um, well, Throughout that whole region, okay. but yes, it uh, it is a basically a rabbit chimera. You were joking yes. about that, but it is a rabbit type bot base, like, oh. like like you know um you know when you go to Cold Stone Creamery and you make like a, and you make like a fun mix it up ice cream and you start with yeah. a base flavor. Uh-huh. So the base flavor of this is rabbit. Okay, and your mixins for your mixins you get um you've got wings, antlers, tail, and fangs. I'm going to need you to never, ever make, like, another dairy reference on an episode where you have already established we can milk the boy. Because <laughs> that's where my brain goes, and I hate it. I guess I really want ice cream. I don't cream. want my brain to go there. So, um... <laughs> 
So the most widespread description of the Vulpertinger, this is according to the Cryptids Wiki, is that of a horned rabbit or a horned squirrel. I'm gonna just disregard the squirrel for what for right now because I want to talk about the horned rabbit. Who amongst us has never disregarded a squirrel? Just disregard it. Nature's greatest mistake. Don't say that. No, I mean disregarding the squirrel is a mistake. I guess that's not what you meant. No, it's not. So um, stuffed Vulpertingers you can purchase, composed of parts of actual stuffed animals, are displayed in inns or sold to tourists as souvenirs in the animal's native regions. There is a place in Munich, Germany, that features a permanent exhibit on the creature. It's equated a lot with the jackalope, but I believe, from what I understand, the Vulpertinger dates a lot further back, and I'll go into it a little bit more. Do you want to see a picture of it? Yeah, I kind of do. Oh, he's a weird boy. Yeah. Some of the per- some of the portrayals of it show it as having, like, antlers, and some of them have it as, like, more like a unicorn horn. Yeah, um, but, it, like, the horn is just still, like, an antler piece. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a horn. Um, let's talk a little bit about bilbies. Oh, tell me about bilbies. So the bilby is an Australian marsupial. <laughs> it's got the cutest name actually. in the whole entire it's world. It's pretty great. They got really weird little noses. <laughs> um, but the bilby is a native Australian marsupial, but... Uh, it looks a lot like a, like a bunny. And actually in Australia, it's my understanding that instead of the Easter bunny, they have the Easter bilby. Stop it. So this is the bilby. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, can you describe the bilby for our people at home, please? And this is its real nose. This is, like, really what's up with its nose. It's got, like, a little Rudolph nose. It looks like a mole. It looks like a mole with rabbit ears, and it's, like, fuzzy. Yeah, but it also does, like, the possum <gasps> Not scream. A mole. It's, a sh- it's a shrew. Yeah, but, like, when its mouth is open, it very much has, like, that possum mouth. Um, It's wild. And it has, like, its nose is bright red sometimes, oh, and I, I don't know how to feel bad. about it. But look at this guy. He's got, like, these little mole hands and he's got like he looks like he's wearing a set of Easter bunny ears. It's really good. They do not look like they belong on the rest of his body. This thing looks fake. It's really good and um, so uh, talking about animals that may or may not exist. <laughs> yeah, there's no way this thing is real. <laughs> that thing doesn't... No one can prove to me right now that the Bilby exists. Oh, look at this guy. I'm not saying I demand proof that the Bilby exists, but uh, Alex, can I keep talking about the Vulpertinger before yeah, I hop back over? Yeah, please do talk about the Vulpertinger. Before I hop back over to the Jackalope, which is, of course, the main focus of the episode, I do want to <laughs> stop showing me Bilbies. <laughs> I do want to talk about paranormalpapers.com has a section on uh, the Vulpertinger. By the way, this the uh, sort of subheader of paranormalpapers.com is Seek the Truth, so pretty oh, into that. Good. So the Vulpertinger has a bunch of different kind of different variations on the spelling of its name, but... The Vulpertinger is a very shy creature. It lives in the Bavarian forest. It only comes out during a full moon. It's very difficult to catch. Uh, the name is thought to have originated in a town called Volterdingen, which is famous for making shot glasses in the form of various animals and calling them Volterdinger. Um, okay. So Bavarians view these creatures as being mischievous. They're not dangerous. They're not, like, life-threatening. They're not scary. They're just kind of, like, little little guys. They're trickster boys. Yeah, they're little... Which is pretty typical for rabbit creatures all over the world anyway. It is. I don't know what it is that we equate rabbits with being tricksters. When it, I've never met a particularly mischievous rabbit, they usually just run away from me when I try to beckon them to pet their ears. Well, but... I, I can tell you that in the rabbit's own mythology, according to Watership Down... <laughs> I never should have brought this to you. I uh, knew you'd talk about Watership you never Down. Should have. I'm sorry. I can't help it. It's not... Okay. I do need to clear. It's not that I particularly like Watership Down. It's it is that I read the entirety of Watership Down unabridged when I was 11. So it was like a formative um, part of your so, life. So, like, yeah, I was in fifth grade and I needed a book for a book report. And the librarian 
God bless her. I like rolled up with a copy of Watership Down, which I'd just gotten. And I was like, can we get the accelerated reader test for this? And because she'd been putting up with me for five years, um, she was like, okay. And so we got the accelerated reader test for Watership Down. And I read all of Watership Down. I did my book report in fifth grade on Watership Down, which is the only age anybody should ever read Watership Down. Because at that point in time, I was a precocious enough child to want to read a thousand page book. Um, But I was also 11 enough to not mind if all 1000 of those pages were about bunnies. Yep. So um, fun fact, the Volpertinger, in addition to being sort of chimerical in its own right, is, and I don't mean chimerical in the sense of like, the actual dictionary definition of being like fanciful, although it is that, but I mean being like a hodgepodge of things. <laughs> being akin to a chimera. Akin to a chimera, exactly. It involves some interesting aspects of other things we've covered on this show, including unicorns and what I would call, I would call it a reverse hide behind because oh. you can only apparently see it if you're drunk. Nice. And it's it said that the animals are attracted to the smell of beer festivals. Oh, no. They want to get their party on. They just want to get down. Um, The Volpertinger just wants to just get crazy with it at Oktoberfest. Just get oh, wild. Yes. Just get turned. Um, and then, of course, like many uh, aspects of folklore that date back long enough, it gets a little gross and a little bit sexist. So the only way to catch a Volpertinger is to have a beautiful young woman venture into the forest on a night where the moon is full, and then guess what she's supposed to do if the Volpertinger comes out? If, if you guessed get her boobs out, you were right. What the heck? <laughs> this just sounds like the world's most ill-advised Germany tourism ad. It's yeah. like, come to the Black Forest. We've got beer gardens and beautiful ladies. <laughs> yep, they just want to be able to say, like, if you go out into the woods, you might see Take a woman shirt off. Yeah, with her <laughs> shirt off. Another way to catch a Volpertinger is to put salt on their tail. Although, quite what Wait, you do after is unclear. <laughs> you have to catch it by already having caught it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you sneak up behind it. You just put some salt on their tail. That's wild. And then I guess you eat it because it's delicious? No. Is it? No, I'm just saying stuff. Or what I was going to say is this does predate the jackalope. The Volpertinger or creatures that kind of resemble it have appeared in wood carvings dating back, German wood carvings dating back to the 17th century. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. So there is... Um, a lot of debate about where exactly it came from. There are similar things that appear in German folklore, including the Rasselbach of the Thuringian Forest and the Elvitre. Oh nope, El or something. Elvitre. Yeah, okay. which is a sort of chicken-like animal with antlers. Aww. So they just love to put antlers on stuff in I German mean, folklore. Who doesn't? But that's the Wolpertinger, which is. Again, I think I would call it like the weird German cousin of the jackalope, you know? Okay. The creepy German cousin of the jackalope. I'm reminded of um, the only How the Grinch Stole Christmas adaptation that matters, which is the original animated one. Oh, yeah. Which I had as a child on a double episode VHS tape with Horton Hears a Who. They were both animated. They were both amazing. They were like the Chuck Jones animation. Um, But in that particular one, the mental image that will forever stick with me because it horrified me as a child is when the Grinch like ties an antler onto Max the dog's head. Oh, yeah. Um, And I was like, this is animal cruelty. Um, And it's too heavy for It's too heavy for Max, who is the purest dog. Um, He's so little. He's so small and he's trying so hard and he loves Christmas and the Grinch so much. He's torn between two worlds. He's an inspiring force for all 
all of us. But anyway, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking of. And now I'm just uh-huh. thinking of, like, these these German folks just, like, going out in the woods and just tying antlers on anything they can find. Oh, yeah, they love it. I'm going to accidentally start a stereotype about a country, which is that, you know, Germans, they just, they love, just love putting antlers on things. They just Did love you know to that? tie antlers to animals' heads. And they, the fact that you can only it. see it when you're drunk makes me think that this whole thing was really just a very elaborate prank that got way out of hand. Oh, yeah. Like, there were some, like, German... I don't know. What what do German people do in the woods? There were some German lumberjacks and they were like <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and they were like, Oh hey, you know it's gonna just like drive Johan um, up a wall. They were going into the black forest to hunt for ham and cake. Yeah, absolutely, as you do. And so they were just like, hey, watch, this will be hysterical. They tie some antlers onto a chicken or a rabbit or anything they can find. They're just putting antlers on stuff. And then uh-huh. they just, like, push it out in the trees in front of their, their pal Franz over here, who is just, like, completely three sheets to the wind at this point. And they're like, what the heck? And Franz is like, guys, there's a rabbit with antlers. And they're like, I don't see anything. And then, like... Somebody somebody's, must be drunk. Yeah, and then somebody's wife, Hilda, was like a few too many in and just got like, and was just like, I'm just going to take my shirt off. And they were yeah. like, that must be how they caught it. Right, um, yeah. And they'll be like, oh, this is how, well, no, I mean, did nobody else see this thing? I guess it's just you can only see it if you're drunk. And also because my wife took her shirt off in the and woods. also because my wife took her shirt off in the woods. <laughs> I guess we have to replicate these two factors forever. And everybody was like... We'll take literally an excuse to do that. So, yeah. That's just such a strange experimental model to follow. But anyway, in case you're wondering about kind of the gap between the Vulpertinger and like when the jackalope kind of bursts onto the scene, so to speak. The jackalope, according to newanimal.org, which uh, covers the jackalope in the section Uh the cryptid zoo of their website, uh, discusses that it is generally traced to a Wyoming resident named Douglas Herrick, who popularized it in the 1930s. Herrick? Hmm. Not spelled like that, but okay, you know what, Wild. Sure. If you want to start drawing these conclusions, you hmm. can. I'm just, just connect them with string on the corkboard of your mind. Already happening. Already happening. I know it. Just got all these strings crisscrossing my mind, like the horrible snares in Watership Down. Oh, Alex. That part of Watership Down was rough. It's bad. There's a, actually, there's a lot of Watership Down that's rough. You saw the animated movie, right? Um, Yeah, it's horrifying. It's actually. the worst. It's really upsetting. Yeah, it's very, very bad. One more thing. I'm going to hop back over to Paranormal Papers for their part on the jackalope. Then I've got a little bit more uh, about kind of explanations. And then I'd like to hop into some sightings after that. <laughs> just to let you guys... Oh, yeah. That was on purpose. <laughs> Super on purpose. So the jackalope uh, is filed as a cryptid on paranormalpapers.com. It's listed as being native to Canada and the United States. Okay. Another name for it is the warrior rabbit. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. And... You know what I would really like? Hmm. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, at the very least, through My Brother, My Brother and Me or other things with the Warrior Cats franchise. A series I was really into as a child. And I would really love a a new series called Warrior Rabbits about these guys. Yeah, this is Salt Bottom, the Jackalope. And (laughs) Okay, so anyway, the first recorded stories of horned rabbits, according to this piece, uh, date back to Persia in the 13th century, actually, even further. The Persian tales present a small uh, rabbit-like beast with a single horn from its head. Okay. So sort of that unicorn kind of vibe we talked about before. And then it talks about that kind of, it starts there, and then you have the European account starting in the 17th century of the what's called the Vulpertinga, which also is described as being saber-toothed, which is so much. Oh, that is a lot. Bitey, bitey, bitey. Did they just not know what buck-tooth meant, or did they actually mean? No, they said it had fangs. Oh, Bonicula. Oh, I love Bonicula. You know I I do. I want a Bonicula jackalope. You know one of my very favorite, like, weird niches of internet culture, and Mm -hmm. it's such a hyper-specific thing, but I'm pretty sure you've seen some and maybe you'll get this, um, is when people draw, like, 
quote-unquote regional variants of Pokemon. Oh, yeah. It's like a design thing people will do. They'll take a Pokemon that they really like, and then they'll, like, imagine in a world where genetics and selective breeding and, like, geographic variants come into play, like, what different versions of that Pokemon might look like around the world. So they'll be like, this is an Eevee, and, like, this is what an Eevee would look like in colder climates, and, like, the fur is thicker. Like, this is a desert Eevee, and it's got, like, big fennec fox ears, like, stuff like that. Oh, man, yeah. And it's so cute. And what I'm thinking of right now in my brain space, which none of you can see, obviously, but is plain as day to me, is, like the regional variants of the jackalope and so it's like you've got your like american midwest jackalope and you've got your german jackalope and you've got your other thing and like how they just look different all over the world and like the cool little variants that pop up like and i'm just in my brain thinking like what if this is the same creature but like it's been selectively bred out in all of these different areas and like all of yes. these different traits that have come up i love that oh I and then like you've got like your your bilby jackalope down in down in australia oh wow the bilby you know what i'd really love to see when you were talking about the regional variants all i could think was a uh, sort of this is horrible and you'll hate it oh, no. like a naked mole rat kind of jackalope <laughs> in, like, living in burrows <laughs> a naked he uses the horns for digging. Of course he does. Like, like the horns aren't super like <laughs> yeah, pointed. No, They're like kind of flat and sort of spade-like, and he can kind of dig really efficiently cool. with them. And burrow. I was thinking like Arctic hare jackalope, and oh. you're like, and you're like, nah, naked mole rat. <laughs> what if he's bald and pink and terrible? <laughs> And wrinkly. And saber-toothed. And covered in wrinkles, just so many wrinkles. Oh my um, gosh. You know hairless cats are actually really soft. Are they? They're like peach fuzz. Okay, cute. Anyway, so it would it would feel like that. So it would feel like it. peach fuzz. It'd be soft enough. Nice. So anyway, I mentioned Douglas Herrick, who was in Wyoming in the 1930s. The first alleged sightings um, were made. Wait, what? Oh, sorry. This is I got confused because the first alleged sightings before Douglas Herrick came onto the scene were made in Douglas, Wyoming. Whoa. The X-Files okay. theme music should No, I'm sorry. This isn't even an X-Files thing. You're telling me there was a guy from Douglas, Wyoming. No, no, no. He would, That was separate. Okay. So there was... There Another was, man in Wyoming named Douglas Herrick popularized it in the 30s, but in the 1800s in Douglas, Wyoming. No, this is a trickster rabbit spirit. Yeah. Who was looking to tell people about the jackalope and was like, uh uh-huh, I know. I'll name myself Douglas Hare. Egg. Douglas Herrick. Yes, that's me. Hello. Would so, you like to hear about a cool rabbit? So he would sell the he would sell Douglas Herrick would sell stuffed jackalopes, which were essentially maybe real or maybe kind of Fiji mermaid style mm-hmm, yeah. uh, hoaxes that he would claim his brother had like caught while hunting and killed them and they had stuffed them and he would sell those to tourists and people. And according you like this, according to Herrick, the jackalope can imitate a human voice. Yeah, okay, so this was straight up just this was yeah. the jackalope. There are tales. This was this was three jackalopes on each other's shoulders in a trench coat yep. selling fake jackalope so, merch to people. So can I keep going? There are stories of jackalopes joining cowboys around their campfires who are singing like songs, campfire songs, and jackalopes showing up to sing along with them. I'm obsessed with this. What? They love to sing campfire songs oh with the cowboys. Oh my god, I you, love them. Do you know what else jackalopes love? Which makes me link them to the Volpertinger because it reminds me of the Volpertinger's like penchant uh-huh. for beer. Jackalopes love whiskey. Oh my god. I want so bad, like They love it. I want a cool Midwestern, like, urban fantasy novel with, like, and not even, like, urban, but, like, I guess sort of modern Americana fantasy, which is not a, a genre that we get a lot of. I want, like, an Americana fantasy Western with, like, a cowboy magician and his jackalope familiar. Oh, you know, the way you bring that into the world is to write it, right? Yeah, I understand that now it's my job and I have to do so it. So here's the thing. Um, 
this is similar to what we loved about the Flatwoods Monster and what we loved about the Hodog and other similar things. Douglas, Wyoming is the home of the jackalope. Nice. They've sort of claimed it. There's a jackalope statue. They celebrate a jackalope day, usually in June, which makes this episode super timely. Oh, the most topical. Yeah. So the Douglas Chamber of Commerce even grants jackalope hunting licenses that are only val- valid until July 31st of any uh. given year. Um, and actually, speaking of it, it mimicking voices, it supposedly uses that to evade capture. Like, they'll be like, for an example, you could be hunting a jackalope and the jackalope like runs away and then they call in like the voice of Duck your hunting season. <laughs> no, they like call in the voice of your like hunting companion. Oh, I went that way and then you like go oh, that way. Oh, good. So um, it is straight up Bugs Bunny. Kind of, it's yeah. It's literally just it's Bugs Bunny. Okay. Yeah, except for that Bugs Bunny um actually burrows and goes in the holes so he's <laughs> not a jackalope. So actually... I think you mean Bugs hair. I think look it up, sweaty. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> a little bit more. Um, uh, yeah, the earliest recorded sighting by an American is that of John Coulter who was a part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Oh, nice. No one believed him at the time. Wow. But then they also didn't believe his accounts of spouting geysers and bubbling mud pots. So you know what? Oh. Lots of stuff can sound weird when you've never seen it yourself. So then I would like to talk about a few more things that something that I came across when reading about the jackalope that really blew me away is a potential explanation, excuse me, a potential explanation for the jackalope that also crosses over with medical history in a very oh, interesting way, which is to say that there was a doctor in the 1930s, a scientist at Rockefeller University named Dr. Richard Shope, okay. who had a friend on a hunting trip that caught a rabbit with these antler-looking growths on its head. Okay. And the friend caught the rabbit, you know, as hunters do, killed the rabbit, and mm-hmm. um, cut off one of the antlers and sent it to Dr. Shope and was like, you should oh, check okay. this out and see what it is. Yeah. So Dr. Shope did an investigation of this horn of sorts and mm-hmm. found that it was a hardened, like a calcified tumor as a result of a form of the human papillomavirus. Oh, wild. So when rabbits have HPV, it can manifest in these calcified tumors on their heads that look like kind of developing antlers or horns. okay. And one, not only is that a potential explanation for people, something people could have seen that would cause the story of the jackalope to develop. So seeing these rabbits with what look like horns. They're little and they're short, but they look like when you see like baby deer growing in their antlers. Right. I don't have any photographs, but like the description is very clear that that's what they're talking about. And... They're these sort of like little like antler-like lumps on the head, or maybe they can just have one, which would explain the kind of unicorn description. Yeah, definitely. And fun fact that that particular research into sort of describing how um, HPV can cause this overactive cell production and all these tumors, it that research led to further research on HPV. Um, he passed that research on um, to someone who performed um, a scientist named Rouse who won the Nobel, Pri- Nobel Prize for medicine because he linked the like viruses and cancer. Uh, so viruses and oh. overactive cells producing tumors and cancer. And essentially some of this research on horned rabbits discovering that was HPV obviously with a lot of other factors, was part of the research that led to the discovery that HPV can cause cervical cancer. And it can cause cervical cancer. It actually can cause oral cancer in anybody. Right, so, yeah. Anyone with a mouth. Well, okay, sorry. If you don't have a mouth, that's a whole other problem. <laughs> and I'm very sorry. But yeah, it can cause yeah cervical cancer. It can cause oral cancers. And that all one of the factors in like the sphere of research that led to that had to do with studying horns on rabbits. It's not a soft science. <laughs> That's right. Oh, so man, I just, that is super neat. And that yeah, was wow. uh, information I took from an io9 article called, uh, let me just pull the title, called Rabbits with Horns Meet the Human Papillomavirus. 
Interesting. Okay, that is really, really fascinating. Yes, it's super interesting. Also, like, if you are a person who is able to be vaccinated, get and you are uh, a person who with a cervix, get your HPV vaccine. Separate thing. Just like wanted to put that PSA out there. Like if you can, if you're not allergic to any of the ingredients, very important. Be careful. Health. Important. Stay safe out there. Stay safe out there. Public health is important. And I like to put that out there. But anyway, another personal theory that I have about the jackalope, and this is not mentioned on any of the sites I found. So this mm-hmm. was literally, I'm sure there are other people who've thought this, but this is my personal theory because okay, I want to believe I in it. it. I love it. Are you familiar with the Southern Poodoo? Um... It's a, it's a species of deer. Oh, no. I, I don't think that I am. It's a species of deer. I will show you a photograph of them. They are primarily, they are native to South America, but they are a species of deer that at their largest grow to only about a foot tall. They're ah! the smallest species of deer. And, they are so small. Yeah. And now look at this and tell me you wouldn't see that face poking out of something and think it was a bunny oh, with horns. Oh, whoa. Holy cow. They have these kind of soft, like, kind of bunny-looking faces, especially if you were seeing it in, like, the grass or, yeah, like, the Yeah, it's bushes. a little bit, like, snub-nosed for yeah. a deer, which means that its snout looks more like a bunny snout. Yeah. They're, the southern pudu is a species of deer uh, native to South America that is super diminutive. They have these, like, little kind of horn-looking antlers and these, like, really, like, little rounded soft faces and these kind of so they're short for, for hair or rabbit ears, but these kind of pointed up ears. And I just genuinely, I have trouble believing that somebody could not have seen one of these precious little guys in like the grass or the bushes and thought it was a rabbit with horns. Yeah, seriously. Because they do not look like deer as we imagine them. They're very, they're again, super small. Like when they're little, they're only like six inches tall. And when they're fully grown, they're oh about gosh, 12 or 13 yeah. inches tall. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, they're super little and they're super precious. And I've been obsessed with them for a very long time because I, <laughs> I already love deer. And they're this. And someone basically was like, have you heard of the tiniest deer? And I said, oh, good. I better. I want to see the tiniest deer. They're pretty Teacup small. deer. They're pretty little. Yeah. So the Southern Poodoo is just a personal theory of mine, because if that variation of the deer can happen in South America, there's nothing for me to say that they're aren't variations of it in other regions as well that would maybe potentially cause stuff like that. And of course, I think maybe a combination of things, animals like that, and then uh, developments like the way HPV presents in rabbits Mm -hmm. uh, or can present in rabbits would be a very, very reasonable cocktail to create the story of something like jackalope. Now, of course, there's also the possibility, probability that jackalopes are real. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, like, we're just sort of assuming that jackalopes are real. But what I'm, yeah, what I'm getting from this is that you're understanding how even people who did not, in fact, see the real actual jackalope, which we know to exist, still might have come upon stories that resembled the jackalope. The sort of spreading of that story. Right, yeah. And then when I was reading the Wikipedia article um, on the jackalope, sorry, folks, your teachers lied to you. Sometimes Wikipedia is actually an okay source to use. There is this really cool little section um, on uh, scholarly interpretations of the story of the jackalope that kind of touched on something we talk about a lot. So I wanted to read a little excerpt from the Wikipedia page. This is a statement. Uh, Folklorist John A. Gutowski talks Uh about the Douglas, Wyoming jackalope as an example of an American tall tale publicized by a local community that seeks wider recognition. Through a combination of hoax and media activity, the town or other community draws attention to itself for social or economic reasons. A common adjunct to this activity involves the creation of an annual festival to perpetuate the town's association with the local legend. Gutowski finds evidence of what he calls the proto-festival pattern throughout the United States. In addition to the jackalope, he uses examples of the sea serpent of Nantucket, which Mm -hmm. in 1937 led to stories of armadas hunting the monster. 
and footprints discovered by locals, uh, accompanied by wide publicity in the same fashion. Newport, Arkansas had its White River Monster, and Algiers, Louisiana, claimed to be home to a flying devil man. Where Massachusetts had a reputation for alligator sightings that didn't make sense. Perry, New York, has the Silver Lake Sea Serpent Festivals. And then there's the Hodak Festival, specifically mentioned here. Yeah, cool. Um, there's an annual Bigfoot Festival in Willow Creek, California. Um Churubusco in Indiana has Turtle Days, based on a story, part real, part invented, about a hunt for the Beast of Busco, a giant snapping turtle said to be living in that lake. So essentially, he just talked about this recurring motif of these creature, of like the mythical creature and the monster and like the way that that is persistent, not just in America, but all over the world, like Loch Ness and just the way that local monster tales are embraced, and particularly by American communities. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, folklorist Richard M. Dorson also talks about this uh, impulse, and it's just very interesting. They like read their writings for like more on it, but there's a little bit mentioned in this, and I thought ties into something we talk about a lot: the way that people can, like latch onto the ownership yeah, of this thing. That's really fascinating to look at it from that particular angle, as opposed to like we talk about it a lot as more of a deconstruction. We talk about it as looking at something and then looking at the ways that like the event of that sighting and festival has influenced the culture around it. What we don't talk so much about and what fascinates me so much about this approach is looking at it from the other side, looking at it from being like, what can we do to create this? And then inventing a creature that spurs that kind of development. Yeah, exactly. And it's really fascinating to me because you're super right. Like, one, American audiences and American cultures and American authors and people with that specific viewpoint folklorically tend to really, really have an affinity for these kinds of microcultures that we create. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's partially because there isn't really so much a unified American culture that we see yeah. in our own mind. There obviously is one. It's like very, very present. And when we're talking about like Americana, like there is a certain thing that comes to mind, but we have a much harder time affiliating ourselves with the national scope of things just because the country itself and the the nation comes from so many discrete microcultures that those are what we have an easier time identifying with. Mm-hmm. Like, And it's why people have so much state loyalty and people have so much town loyalty, like because these identities make more sense to us and are easier to coalesce in our mind than some sort of sweeping and really, really ambiguous national culture. And I also just tend to trust people who like their state better than their country anyway, but that's just me. Oh, yeah. So anyway, what's interesting about that is that it's fascinating to look at this and see this pattern sort of well in advance that's like, what can we do to create a commonality for ourselves through the lens of like this creature or this mythology or this mascot that we're basically inventing out of the things that we look around and see as unique to our area. And I find that really, really interesting. I agree. I had to answer a survey to access the article I wanted to read. (laughs) I was just doing that real quick. It made me answer a survey. I did it, though. I answered the survey. So (laughs) proud of you. There's a uh, man I wanted to talk about named Frank English who lives in South Dakota who basically he's the jackalope guy. He makes jackalopes uh, like he makes uh, taxidermy jackalopes. He's the world's foremost jackalope maker. That's his. Oh, man. He says he he was asked to explain how many he turns out. This is from Billings Gazette. He said it's multiple thousands each year exceeds the amount made by any competitor. And I just wanted to talk about this man very quickly just because I, it delighted me that he does this. He calls himself the jackalope guy. 
And uh, one of his favorite stories is an airport customs official in England. Uh-huh. Um, assuming a jackalope found in an American woman's luggage must be a protective species, they confiscated it and placed it in a locker with other contraband oh. such as elephant tusks and English. The guy who provided the jackalope to the woman mm-hmm. who had hers confiscated was asked to write a letter on her behalf explaining it was not an actual oh like gosh. species that he had gotten. That's amazing. And she got it back. But um, I just <laughs> wanted you to know about that particular thing. It came up when I was looking up jackalope sightings yeah and it it thrills me i just love the idea and of course they wouldn't know like someone who doesn't know the story of the jackalope and saw something like that would be like why does this woman have this taxidermied animal in her suitcase monstramathenaeum.org has a bit on eight-year-old reports jackalope sighting in wisconsin so Naturally imaginative, kids don't make the best witnesses, but they caught wind of a recent report posted on cryptozoology.com where an eight-year-old claims to have encountered a horned rabbit-like creature. Perhaps more than an act of imagination, details of this sighting are specific enough to warrant a closer look. See, I like I think you should listen to kids when they see wild stuff. I, I That was like from the piece that they said that kids aren't the best yeah. witnesses. Okay, I think they so are. Quick diversion. Yeah, please. I've told me. you this story. I don't think I've told it on here before, but... As previously mentioned, I'm a substitute teacher, and occasionally I'll get into a situation where there's a class that, like, I sub for somewhat frequently, and that was the case this past year. Um, and I, I talk about it a lot on Twitter. Is there was this one class of kindergartners that specifically I was in for very many times and somewhat regularly. Sometimes, you know, with their regular teacher there, if she was doing testing or something, I would I would be there like in a support capacity to help with the kids or whatever. But as a result, I got to know these kids very well, and they were a great class. I loved working with them. But on one occasion, I was there teaching, and uh, it was like a beautiful springy summer day, and we were all outside for recess, and there was a group of kids who kept going over to this storm drain at the edge of the playground and kept just sticking their faces down on the storm drain, looking down into the storm drain. And no matter how frequently we went over these kids and we're like, go play, like go run around, go play. It's recess, go play. They kept going back to this storm drain. And so eventually one of the kids got up and and walked away from the storm drain and was walking past me and just very casually, I look at the kid and I'm like, hey, what are you guys looking at over there? And this kid, like this tiny five-year-old kindergartner with the most earnest expression, no trace of purposeful misinformation on their face just says the clown (gasps) no (laughs) yeah yeah i about lost my mind because here's the thing kindergartners aren't good liars yeah they're really not they're good pretenders but they're not good liars and especially if an adult looks at them and says what are you looking at over there um like if they're gonna make something up then they'll have like a specific sort of you know uh, th- there will be an act that they will put on for you. But this was just no. This is just straight up and down. Like, what are you guys looking at? The clown. <laughs> like, oh, my God. What? No, I did not go over and look. I'm not trying to die. Yeah, no, absolutely not. So, But if a kid told me they saw a jackalope, I would believe yeah, them. So Clark, this little boy named Clark, uh, saw a – he was in his home in Winnebago County looking out the window, looking at birds, and he saw a something hop across the hill before vanishing into the grass. He said it looked like a rabbit. It was gray with um, but with slightly shorter ears. And then he said it had stubby horns, bright yellow eyes, and tusks. Oh, man. So very Vulpertinger yeah. uh, in description. So that was just Clark. That was Clark's sighting um, in Winnebago County. Uh, so yeah, if a child says they saw a jackalope, listen. I trust him. Yeah, me too, honestly. 
I really, really do. So um, there was also a jackalope sighting at Riverside Park. Um, so let me pull this up. This is waparks.org. Nice. Got a jackalope sighting for you. The Park Washington Service S- knows things. Yeah, Washington State Washington State Parks, rare jackalope sighting at Riverside State Park. A jackalope was sighted on April 1st, 2016 at Riverside State Park by April Fool's Day. Ha ha. Aww. I'm sorry. This one's a prank. Aww. I know. I'm sorry. I was so excited. I was like, yes, finally, the Park Service is giving us their secret. No, they did a prank. It was actually uh, a little informational article about uh, about the jackalope. But it, it wasn't. But it did have but something it was that true. made they me. They just released on April Fool's Day. So they that we just, would. you're right. They did have something that made me laugh, though, that I wanted to include this. Um, that said, because like the hodag, there's a lot of like facts about the jackalope mm-hmm. that are oh, like yeah. not, that are like really absurd. So one of them says, uh, if you encounter a jackalope unexpectedly, um, in order to avoid being attacked, you should fall to the ground, remain calm, and and hum the Roy Rogers song, Happy Trails to You. <laughs> I thought you might like that. Wow. Will it sing along? I know it loves songs. Probably. Now, for an actual, like, quote-unquote legit sighting, I'd like to hop over to Mysterious Universe. I'm so okay. sorry that the Parks Department betrayed you. Uh, no, it's okay. They've never betrayed me. The Park Service has only ever done That's good. True, it's just right. that I know they have secrets to keep. I understand. But they have to keep keeping those secrets to keep the people safe. I know. So, um, Paul Seaburn wrote in October tw- on, uh, on October 20th, 2015 on MysteriousUniverse.org, the jackalope may be alive and living in Canada. There's news from Ontario, Canada, that a jackalope has been spotted near a nuclear plant. What? Jillian Sutherland-Jones, a resource management technician at the Bruce Peninsula National Park in Ontario, says the first reported sighting of the jackalope was in the spring by a campground visitor. So first there was one at this camp. Mm -hmm. In September, a video was posted on Facebook showing the jackalope in the park. And I will show you a picture of him. (gasps) He's so cute! Yeah, what this kind of looks like is a rabbit with, like, with like four ears what it kind of looks like is a jackalope oh you're right i'm so sorry it's a jackalope you're so you're so right i'm so (laughs) sorry i'm so sorry um there's another image of the ontario jackalope if you would like to see him (laughs) he's really cute as many who have examined the photos and videos have pointed out the horns on the ontario jackalope look a lot like a second set of ears could the jackalope have evolved horns with this new look to scare off hunters julian sutherland jones isn't so sure it is possible that the hair sustains some sort of injury, but given the uniformity of both ears, it is more likely a birth defect. What could cause such an unusual birth defect? Might it have something to do with, <laughs> with the, the nuclear plant? With the Bruce nuclear power plant just 90 miles from the park? Just not according to the park Im- to park image protector Jillian Sutherland-Jones. We have no reason whatsoever to believe there is a link, she says. That reasoning is fine until more of these jackalopes are found with two ears and two more so-called other ears. Whether the Ontario jackalope exists or not, it clearly does, but fine. Bruce Peninsula National park campers and local residents are using the sightings as an excuse to stock up on heavy boots and plenty of whiskey. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. Isn't he cute? He's adorable. He's a cute pie. So essentially, um, yes, the jackalope was around for a long time and people thought maybe he died out or maybe he was a hoax, but maybe he's evolved. Maybe he's changed up his look. Maybe he's just been better at hiding from people. But that's regardless, possible. at the end of the day, I think there's only one thing to do if you really want to see a jackalope. I think you should go out to Wyoming, uh, pour yourself a whiskey, get a bunch of your buddies around a campfire, and start singing songs. I love it. And even if the jackalope doesn't show up, doesn't that sound like a nice night? It really does, <laughs> though. It sounds like an amazing night. I mean, like, I'm going to do it either way. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, why not go hunting for a jackalope if the way you find a jackalope is something that would be nice to do anyway? Yeah, honestly, that's the kind of cryptid hunting I can get behind. So at the end of the day, like, yeah, the jackalope is this very cool kind of 
international phenomenon in a lot of ways that is to a lot of people a symbol of Americana of like folksiness folk tales cowboy culture and the way that stories can spread so the jackalope's a very special little guy and I thought he might be somebody kind of fun to talk about and bring to the table today it's been it's been uh it's been really hard out here and I thought a bouncy boy oh, might man, be somebody yeah, to talk about uh, yeah no I really enjoy it this is this is a totally unpaid promo. They're not sponsoring our podcast or anything, although, God, I wish they would. Yeah. Um, but a game that I'm currently obsessed with, which I've talked about on a few other podcasts. I don't know if I've brought it up on ours or not. Um, but I really love the game right now, Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find it on Steam. I think it's like 20 bucks. Uh, but summer sale's going on, so maybe you can get it cheaper. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's uh, if you are into, like, literally it's what you just said. If you're into, like, Americana and the the way the stories spread and affect culture and everything, it's a game literally all about that. It's a game about the way that stories, like, sort of cross borders and become, like, markers of identity and how people take what they need from stories and turn it into other things and how, like, those folk tales and the lives of people that we've never met across the country, like, influence us in really profound ways and provide inspiration and guidance to us at times when we really need them. Um, it's really beautiful. The artwork is gorgeous. The music is amazing. Uh, it's this incredible, like, very laid-back sort of exploration of culture and the way that it spreads. And my favorite thing about it is that it looks through, like, Americana and this turn-of-the-century culture in a way that is really, really, like, fond and loving, but doesn't whitewash it or filter it at all. It very much tackles, like, turn-of-the-century issues. It talks about unemployment. It talks about, like, labor industry violations and, like, the way that those things destroyed lives and, like, wrecked people and the way that people were separated by poverty and racism. And it's really interesting because it doesn't shy away from any of those topics, but it's still, like, puts forth folk culture in a way that puts the ownership back in, like, the people who created it, which I love. Absolutely. So I think that is a very good way to potentially, if you would like to, uh, since it's apparently Jackalope Month. Yeah. uh, Since it's June, if you would like to uh, take that as an opportunity to celebrate stories and Americana and all of uh, those amazing subjects to cover in art. I think that's a good game to check out. I've been meaning to get it as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I know you've heard me talk about this game oh, it's okay. like I don't mind. several times now. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, ask I think me if it's... I mind. Do you mind? No. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, then I'll probably do it on the next podcast we're on. Yeah. So a uh, really quick question. I, always, I know we haven't done this in a while, but um, I, I would just really like to uh, ask you to rank the oh, Jackalope. Oh, yeah. If, I'm not going to do a, num- a numerical rating system so okay. much as like... On a scale of like, like aus- like lovable rabbits. Uh, mm-hmm. On a scale of like from like, um, I guess let's call like the like the like le- least lovable end of the spectrum. The rabbit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail that oh, like, okay. yeah, that, like no, kills fair. people. Yeah. Um, in the middle we can put like Roger Rabbit. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like at the top we could put like the Easter Bunny or just like any actual real life bunny that you might see because they're like pretty good. <laughs> just normal regular rabbits are the most lovable kind of rabbit. Yeah, yeah you're right. I would just really love you to uh, to to um some where on that scale do you think that the jackalope falls? Um, I actually would rank the jackalope right around um, Blackberry, who was my favorite rabbit in Watership. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I did used to have rabbits, by the way, when I was a kid. I'm a Blackberry stan. I left oh. five or two, but Blackberry's my favorite. No, that's really cool. Lord. I I had two rabbits as a kid. Um, they were uh really fluffy. They did not like me. 
Where would you rank the jackalope in comparison to those rabbits? Um, the jackalope seems to be, depending on the stories, either a lot friendlier or a lot less friendly than those rabbits. Yeah. I do feel a lot of sentimental attachment to those rabbits. Um, they were named uh, after figures in Greek mythology. Oh, good. They were named Hecate and uh, Selene. Good names um, for rabbits. Well, they were black. Yeah, there was a black one and a white one, and they were sisters. Um, but I would say that the jackalope probably, because those rabbits never sang songs with me, mm, the jackalope yeah. probably beats them out in that way because I couldn't have a drink with those rabbits. See, that's what's getting me is like, honestly, I can think of nothing more on brand than sitting down at a campfire with a guitar and playing it badly and like maybe sipping on a little bit of whiskey. And like if the jackalope is down for all of those activities, then like we've just both double swiped yeah. on cryptid match or whatever. We like can... we are yeah. We're gonna have a good time. On whatever bumble is for cryptids where I yeah. can just make cool cryptid friends, like the jackalope and I are a super mash. So like I think what we can all agree is that the ideal companion is a fluffy bunny that you can have a drink with. Yeah, right? It's like how they made um like wine, wine cat, for cats. Cat wine. <laughs> yeah cat there's wine. cat wine and then there's bunny whiskey. <laughs> I don't even drink whiskey, and I would buy bunny whiskey. It's like, are you, it's like, um, are you the wine mom or the vodka aunt? Like, no, are you the are you the wine cat or are you the whiskey bunny? We've got a wine cat and a whiskey bunny on this podcast. <laughs> we literally do. It's true. So anyway, um, if anyone would like to draw some fan art of that, oh please um, do this thing. But anyway, yeah, that is the jackalope. I hope I did him justice. Cool. I am a very big fan. I love his work. Um, the song from the Pixar short Bound In uh, is an absolute banger. Oh, it's good. I could probably start remembering it if I needed to right now, but... Bound, bound, bound and rebound. It's yeah, like well, I used to know, like, the whole narration. It's like, here's a story of how strange is life and its changes and it happened not long ago. <laughs> On a high mountain plain where the sagebrush arranges a playground south of the snow. That's See, what that is. sounds like um, the cremation of Sam McGee to It me. does, doesn't it? Which is also a great poem. Okay, I, we need to stop. This yeah, episode has gone on for a long time. I'm and so if, sorry. If you get but, me um, started on the cremation of Sam McGee, we're never going to end. We'll talk about it when we turn the mic off. Yes. But, uh, if you want to read like a strange dark poem that I actually memorized the entirety of as a child because mm. I've always been a weird dark child. Oh, yeah. Um, the cremation of Sam McGee is excellent. Um, I feel like the jackalope probably was somehow involved and I just am not sure how. One day but, I rolled up to an English class to sell like a middle school English class and they were doing cremation of Sam McGee and I got so lit and I think these kids were really confused. <laughs> They're like, it was because I like got the lesson plans and it was like page four or whatever and I was like, oh my God, it's cremation of Sam McGee, yes! And the kids were like, like, okay, this is a really weird And poem. then you sat on the chair backwards and said, kids, let me tell you about how Shakespeare was the <laughs> let, original rapper. Let me tell you about how Sam McGee was, yeah. I know you all like your uh, your One Directions, but you know who else only went in One Direction? <laughs> Sam McGee. Oh, no. uh, so anyway, um, I think that's going to do it for us. It better. <laughs> So um, I would like to give a quick thank you to Andrew Giada for our theme music. I'll remind you that you can find us on Twitter at CryptKeepPod. You can send us an email at CryptKeepPod at gmail.com. I forgot everything I've ever known in the middle of that sentence, but I made it back. You know who else really wanted five seconds of summer? Sam McGee. Oh, God, that was good. Um, you can also find us on Patreon at The Cryptid Keeper. Uh, right now, actually, we just added a new Patreon reward, which is that if you are a donor at the $5 or above tier per month, then you you have access to our Crypto Keeper Discord, which I am relatively active in. I know that Addison's going to be hopping in there soon. Yes, I got to redownload the app. pun. Um, it's not too discordant. <laughs> oh, um, anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great time. We have like channels in there to talk about the podcast or just like hang out and chat. Uh, some people were having some tabletop gaming conversations in there. It's a really good time. Mm-hmm. And if you want to hang out in our Facebook group, uh, that's the Crypto Keeper Appreciation Group. Lots of fun stuff in there. Great community. So, yeah. 
that is going to do it for us. So as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there.